All right, everyone, thanks for sticking around for the open-air preaching part of this. A lot of people left, but that's all right. So um, I kind of explained earlier what the point of this is. When we're done with this, any help that you can give in helping us clear off the tables and set up the chairs would be greatly appreciated. There's only a few of us here, but it shouldn't take us more than maybe five minutes. And some of us have been part of the setup crew, so we know the drill, how that works, right? All right. With that, I'll turn it over to Andrew. And when you're done, will you just close our time in prayer? Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, open-air evangelism is a scary thing, isn't it? It is. Like you're standing up on a box with a whole bunch of people listening. It, it can be freaky. Um, but, you know, all the principles that I think the reason that I think I do, am I on? Yeah, okay. Um, I think because of all the principles that I, I shared with you earlier, yesterday and today, I think that's really why I, I'm known for being good with open air. I was interviewed for, uh, I think it was uh, Generations Radio. Uh, I can't remember his name. He's a homeschooler. He, inter- he was interviewing me for because I was an open air evangelist. So he, he gets his first question. He says, so you really like getting out there in, in public on the streets and, and just you know, preaching the gospel. And I said, no, I'm deathly afraid of it. He's like, well, this could be a really short interview. I I had a year for that. (laughs) He's like, then why do you do this? I said, because God has given me lungs to carry my voice a very good distance. And he's given me this ability in the way that I share the gospel to keep a crowd there and keep them entertained. And there is a part of it, you know, you know there, we have to be realistic, there is a part of it that is to the unbelievers that's about entertainment, okay? They're, they're not there often to hear the gospel. The whole reason that people would say you need to get a heckler is because the heckler draws the crowd because they're there for the entertainment of you and the heckler, you see? And so... There is a, a part that we just have to be realistic to realize there's an entertainment value to them. Now, you don't go out there to be entertaining. But you have to be realistic about what you're doing. Okay? Quote from Ray Comfort, In 30 minutes, a good open-air preacher can reach more sinners than the average church does in 12 months. Let that sink in. I can be in New York, and in the course of one hour, speak to at least 300 people. Now, granted, New York's a big, populous place. But, you know, we'll go out in places, and often what we'll do is we'll sometimes go out for a whole day. Uh, I got a team coming in uh, this next week. They're going to come to New York. We plan to be... Uh, basically, we're going to be doing evangelism from 11 in the morning till probably about 2 in the morning. Basically, we're going to continue until the subway shuts down. That's a long time. We've got a big team, so we're, not, you know, we're taking turns. But in that course of time, we will probably share the gospel with thousands of people. Right? And, and so, if you go out and you're going to look to say, well, how can I share the gospel? I mean, look... Handing out tracts is great, and there are certain events where gospel tracts are going to work much better. At like Super Bowls and things like that, 
Gospel tracts worked much better than open air. Why? Nobody is looking to stop and listen to you. They're walking somewhere. <clears throat> but when they're walking somewhere, they could take a tract as they walk by. So there are certain events that are better equipped for tracks versus open air. The thing, though, is, is that there's some places where open air could be better. I like to do it in parks. Now, one thing, I, this is my personal preference. I do not like to do open air where there's a stagnant crowd. You know, we used to go to the ferry in Staten Island, and they'd all line up, and they're stuck there waiting for the ferry. They think when you're preaching to them, it's just an annoyance because they can't go anywhere. Now, there are some people that they love a crowd. And so they love static lines because they love a big crowd to listen to them. We have a picture. One of my favorite pictures is me with a woman standing in the rain. She's the only one there. I'm on my box proclaiming the gospel. I was just as happy with one person than I am with 300. I could care less about the crowd size. For people who must have a big crowd, I get concerned. Because the people who want a crowd often just want to be heard. And so I don't like doing it in the subways anymore. I used to do it in the subways. I don't like it anymore just because I feel that what it does is it leaves people with this impression of annoyance. Remember what I said when, uh, uh, Friday night? I don't want people feeling that I am the offense. I want it to be where whatever happens, they walk away with the, the gospel being the offense and only the gospel. And so because of that, I don't want anything, including if I'm preaching to a stagnant crowd, they're annoyed because they can't get away from me. So the question becomes, what's more important for the, for the open-air evangelist? What they want or what is best for the audience? In other words, if I want a crowd and I just want a crowd, I'm going to go to where there's a crowd of people that can't move and they got to listen to me because I want a crowd. But is it about what I want? You see, this is one of the things you find, I find with a lot of open-air preachers. Like I said, in, in the book, Sharing the Good News of Mormons, I spent a lot of time saying who shouldn't do it because there's a lot of people who should not do open-air. But there are some things about open-air that can be very beneficial and helpful, Okay. You can reach a lot of people in a short period of time. In fact, let me tell you something. There are some people you will never hand a gospel tract to. You will never have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, but they will listen to an open-air preacher for hours. I literally watched one guy who was set and watched three hours of open-air preaching in the park. He stood there the whole time, and once one of the guys walked up, Went to hand him a gospel track and said, when you, did you get one of these? He was gone. See, some people will sit and listen to the preaching as long as they don't have to be involved. I mean, isn't that the truth for us? Like, we don't, want, we're, we don't want to get engaged in evangelism either, right? Some people don't want to engage with the evangelists either. And so the reality is when you do the open air, there are some people that will sit and listen, and they're not interested in engaging or having a discussion, but they may be listening. And, and, and they may be sitting there and thinking, okay, well, this is, they, they might be learning something even though they're not really looking to learn something, but they 
do anyway. How do I know? Uh, I met a guy. He's, he's a pastor of a church now. He listened to an open-air preacher. He was very angry with the preacher. He, um, he went home, went back home from college, was very upset with the, the preaching and what the preacher said. And when he was home, he ended up deciding that he was going to prove that the things this preacher said was wrong. So he got out of his Bible, and he got saved. <laughs> I had the privilege of introducing him to that preacher 17 years later. Because back, you know, 20-plus years ago, there were not too many of us that were doing this. Ray Comfort really, it's blown up ever since the ministry of the TV show Way of the Master and Ray and Kirk. Back then, there were just a few of us nuts, but the few of us nuts were doing it well. <laughs> you know, now you see the people who, you'll see people have the signs, you know, and they'll, they'll quote 1 Corinthians where it says that, you know, all the people that won't get into heaven, and they always like to include in that the homosexual. You know, I've had so many homosexuals tell me that they think they can't go to heaven. I say, why? Because I read those signs. I said, yeah, you know what? I wish they would quote the next verse. And such were some of you. <laughs> they never want to quote that verse, those guys that have the big boards, right? The, I, I say to say there, I am very much against much of what goes on in open-air preaching. That seems strange as someone who is an open-air evangelist, right? That I'd be out there saying that <laughs> I'm not happy with what I see. Because most people are more concerned about what they're doing rather than people receiving the message or hearing the message or hearing the compassion in their voice. We have to do this with compassion if we're going to do it. It has to be something in humility. Okay? And so when we, when we do open air, um, there's a couple pointers for you that I, I want to just give you some pointers to help you. Um, there is, uh, I have another video I think that's... Um, I think it's a Mormon Research Ministry uh, YouTube page about me on open-air preaching, but I think it's in one of our playlists on open-air preaching. So you can watch that as well if you want more. But what I want to do is give you just some practical things as well of open-air, what to, to do, what to avoid, things like that. Because if you end up saying, you know what, I, I would like to try this, there's some things that after you know 30 years of doing this I've learned I've learned a lot from Ray because he, you know, he's been doing it longer. I've actually been doing open-air evangelism as long as Ray Comfort's been in America. It's a crazy thing to think about. Um, but here's some things. You know, one, one thing that's good to do is elevation. Uh, why elevate yourself? Well, one, your voice can be heard further because it's going to travel over people's heads and, and, and go further. Okay? It's also protection. People are less likely to come up to you when you're elevated, okay? I don't do, I, tr I suggest that people don't do open air alone. Uh, and I usually recommend that you have a person on either side. And if, if someone get, does get close, like they want to do something to the, the open air evangelist, what we do on our team is we have the two people on the side just slide in. And I have a posture, I have everyone stand. No eye contact. You never want to give eye contact because that can get someone violent real quick. I, I tell the guys to stand like this. I look very casual, don't I? My core body's protected, isn't it? I can deflect something, but I'm keeping my core. And I always look just at their chest. I, I never look at their eyes. I don't speak to them. 
Why? I don't want to distract from the open-air evangelist. Another thing to keep in mind is that the open-air evangelist is you want to let him be the one to talk to the crowd. The open-air evangelist wants a heckler, usually, because one heckler can get a crowd. And so some people do things that are good to get a heckler, and some don't. Uh, Ray Comfort will give away money. He does trivia and and gives away money to, to get a crowd of people, and then he'll try to get one person to come up to do a good person test. Other people say really derogatory things to get one person to shout out. Well, that I don't think is the best thing to do. Usually what, I, what I'll do if I want to try to get a crowd of people to talk to is I talk about evolution. Why? Because I'm attacking their God. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll, I have a sign that says evolution is a lie. You know, I, and I talk about just some of the apologetic stuff. And it's, a lot of times that'll get someone to come out. Now, even if someone doesn't, guess what? I'm still telling truths, just not about Scripture. But I interject the Scripture and the Gospel throughout. Now, the other thing that you want to do is, if, if you do have someone that's doing open-air evangelism, there becomes this natural thing that happens of a horseshoe, where people just casually go, not right in front, typically, but they kind of just go in a horseshoe. Now, there's ways to force that. Uh, Ray Comfort takes a piece of chalk and just draws an arc. And that's kind of a line. And everyone just automatically knows to stand on the line. If you're like me, when people get too close, I'll go, oh, wait, wait, wait. this is a spit zone. You, you may want to back up. I don't want you getting wet. It's amazing how quickly people back up. Like, okay, yeah, well worked. Okay. So, so there'll be like this semicircle that ends up happening around an open-air evangelist. One thing you almost never want to do if you're one of the Christians in the crowd is talk to anybody in the crowd. Why? There is a dynamic I've seen time and time again with open-air evangelism. The open-air evangelist can keep a crowd of people. One person will come in, start talking to the person next to him, turn their back to the preacher, and I've watched in seconds an entire crowd of 100 people dissipate. All of a sudden, it becomes a bunch of small groups, and the crowd that's just watching and listening walk off. So I tell people, never, you know, if you're, if you're there when someone's doing open air, uh, here's the thing I find with open air. It is the easiest way to transition to the gospel because you have to do nothing. He's doing it, <laughs> right? So, so what you end up finding is you get someone that's up doing open air, and you can do two things. One, you look for the people that are on the edge and just about to make that move to leave. You'll get to see who they are. And those are people you approach with the gospel tract. We usually have people around the horseshoe that are set with tracks. And so once someone starts to leave, they go and hand them a gospel tract and say, hey, what do you think about what that guy was saying? If you're going to talk to someone, because I have done this where I'm right in front, I'm filming, and I had a guy that was right next to me. He's like, what do you think about this, man? Now, he doesn't realize that's my buddy up there, <laughs> right? I can talk to him and say, well, I think, you know, what he's saying makes sense. Yeah. I'm sharing the gospel. Notice my face, I was kept facing this way at the preacher, at the, at the evangelist. I don't want to go like this. Even though he turned this way, I kept facing this way and I just turned my head. Why? I did that so that we didn't turn in. Now, you could do that. You don't want to be so loud that it becomes distracting, right? 
Funny part of that was this guy was talking uh, about how he disagreed with what Ken was saying, and I'm kind of saying I agree with Ken. And he's like, why? I just don't know. Ken got done, and Ken's like, my buddy Andrew's going to get up. I'm sorry, excuse me, sir. And I walked up. (laughs) They don't know who you're with, right? We we did a thing in, um, we used to go on the Staten Island Ferry, and they, they, had, they kept changing the rules on the ferry. And so they came up with this rule where, where you know, you couldn't stand. You had to walk around. And um, you, you couldn't stand in one spot. So all the evangelists used to get on the ferry and just walk back and forth, pace back and forth, sharing the gospel. Then they made a rule that you're not allowed to stand up and pace around. You have to be, you have to be in one of the seats. So they, they, they start, we started doing what we called popcorn evangelism. One guy would just stand up from his seat and start proclaiming. And then when he sat down, someone else would pop up. So my buddy Pat was sitting there. And this guy is preaching or evangelizing. And a guy sat down next to Pat. And he goes, oh, man, there's one of these guys here, too. I just came from upstairs with one of these guys up there. And Pat goes, yeah, I know what you mean. Jeff sat down, Pat stood up. <laughs> but you know what? It's so easy to, to get into a gospel conversation around an open-air evangelist because all you have to do is say, what do you think about what that guy's saying? It's one of the easiest ways to share the gospel because you know what? If, if the conversation's going somewhere where you don't, you know, you don't, you, you don't want to go or you, you don't ha- have an answer to what the guy's saying, you go, I, I want to listen to what he's saying. <laughs> and don't worry, you're going to get back into a conversation with that person in another minute or two. That always happens. But you've at least shut down that conversation uh, if, if you wanted to. I mean, it, it becomes something that's easier. You don't have to do open-air evangelism and get up on a box to support someone that does want to do that. I mean, the, the reality is one of the best things you could do is kind of set up a crowd when you have a bigger team. If you have a team of evangelists and one or two people are going to do the open air, the rest of you form a crowd. You could be sitting there praying for the evangelist. You don't have to hand out a tract or anything. It is an encouragement. Trust me, it is an encouragement to be up there being nervous, being proclaiming the gospel, and seeing familiar faces, especially as the crowd gets bigger. Okay, so elevation is good. Let me tell you something about uh, using your voice. The, the thing to do to use, when, if you're going to do open air, if you have amplification, good. It's not always allowed. If you're going to do open air without amplification, you must learn how to speak from your diaphragm. Unfortunately, I don't know how to teach people how to do that. I, I'm actually going to be going to Dallas next year to work with a voice trainer. And uh, she's going to basically teach me how to improve my voice. Even though I am so loud, we were talking about this, I'm so loud, I've had the police called for amplifying. I wasn't. I've been heard three buildings away. I was in Santa Monica, and and this will give you a clue how pop culture illiterate I am. Um, I only know this because a woman came up to me afterwards and told me she was in a restaurant three blocks away. And in the restaurant, they could hear me. And there was an actor, now I'm trying to remember his name. He was in Goodfellas, Godfellas. Oh. Huh? No. 
Oh, I can't remember his name. And he's like really famous once. You'll, yeah. It's not Pesci because that's the one everyone always asks, but it was the other main actor. Um, I think it's Tony's son. Anyway, so, so they're in this restaurant three blocks away, and she said that their whole table was discussing my preaching. She came out, and, and she claimed she was a believer. She came out to, to see who was doing the preaching and to try to encourage me. And uh, Ray, Liotta. Ray Liotta, that's it. And so Ray Liotta actually walked right up because at, at one point after they were done with dinner, right? They heard me three blocks away. Um, we were at Brown University, and the police told, uh, we, we were doing a whole tour, and the police told my buddy Scott, who was running this tour, he said, hey, no amplification. So, so Scott says, so officer, can we get as loud as we want with our natural voice? And the officer said, sure. So Scott's like, Andrew, can you come on over here? And I'm like, what's up? He says, the officer here says we can't amplify anymore, but we can be as loud as we want as long as we're using our natural voice. I would like to test that with the officer. Could you get up? Great, thanks. Someone's getting arrested today. So I get up, and I was so loud. Scott said he talked to the officer and says, um, is this going to be okay? And the officer's like, as long as he's not amplifying. You do realize he's louder than the amplification. The officer said, yes, but I'm hoping that he's the only one that can do that. <laughs> he was wrong. Mike Stockwell can do it just as well. <laughs> and so when you speak from the diaphragm, your voice is going to get deeper, but you're pushing the air up. You're not using your throat. If you use your throat, you're going you're gonna to sprain it, okay? And, and then your voice is going to be dead. Uh, once you blow your voice... It takes a long time to recover. It takes about six months. I've done it twice. The first is where you, you know the verse that says pride comes before the fall? Yeah. So, so we were at Living Waters doing the Living Waters Academy, and um, Chad Williams uh, wanted the team to see how you can use your voice to be heard. I was so loud that Tony Miano, who was inside of the uh, hotel, heard me across an eight-lane highway inside of a hotel. He wanted to see who, whose voice that was he was hearing. I also managed to blow my voice out that weekend uh, because of it. So, yeah, it took six months. So you really want to be careful, okay? Uh, with that, with your voice, if you do open air, what you don't want to do is take cough drops, People think cough drops, mental lipis, cough drops would be good. It's great for a cough when you have a cold. It's not good when you're trying to use your voice because it numbs your throat. Same thing with cold water. You don't want cold water. If you use cold water, it will, it will uh, cause your throat to spring. So you want to avoid things like that. Okay? So I'm just trying to give you some practical things in case you do want to try this because I don't want you to blow your voice out. Because I know from personal experience, it's really annoying when you want to talk to people and you sound like this all the time. Okay? So the thing about open air, though, um, is the fact when you, as nervous as you could be doing it, what, you're, what you want to do is think about the fact that you're speaking to one person. That's why I try to engage with one person. 
Now, the crowd can get crazy. Let me give you a great, helpful hint that I use to keep a crowd in control. Okay? You get someone, I usually want to identify one person who's going to be my heckler for that period. It can change, but here's what I want to do. If I'm talking to Jim, so he's asking me the questions, he's challenging me, and Justin over there just shouts something out. Okay, that happens all the time. What I do is say, excuse me, sir, be respectful to him. He's asking questions. You'll get your turn. Why is that so helpful? Here's why. First off, what am I doing to the person who's heckling me now? Showing respect, right? The crowd recognizes that I'm showing respect. If people keep shouting out, the crowd actually gets against the person who's breaking the rules. This is like these unwritten rules, but I'm saying there's, these are the rules. We'll speak to him, I'll speak to you next. You'll get your chance. Or if someone is just going on and they, they're being a steamroller, things like that, I'll say, look, you, we've given you a long chance to speak. We want to give others a chance. It's only fair. And then I move on to someone else. And, and the reason for doing things like that is just it shows the respect to the person you want to talk to. It also keeps everyone from shouting out. So it doesn't just be everyone shouting and you have no idea what's going on or you can't keep track of all the conversations. It, it helps keep things decently and in order. Okay? And, and that becomes a helpful thing to do in just managing a crowd, is to just ask them to respect one another. It also shows that you're respecting them. And like I said, I want one professing atheist to tell another professing atheist to shut up. Right? That's the main reason why most of them do is because I'm saying, hey, hey, respect this person. And I'll get someone, they'll yell back, hey, I'm talking here, you'll get your chance later. And I'm using the crowd to control the crowd. That becomes a very helpful thing. Um, another thing about open air that you want to keep in mind is the fact that when you think about it, you're going to be challenged with things that you won't be ready for, don't have answers for, and never heard of before. In that situation, what is likely to happen? If we paid attention first thing this morning, we could get defensive. That is the time I get the most defensive, is when I'm doing open air. I usually don't get as defensive when I'm one-on-one -on -one conversations. I get defensive when I'm doing open air because people are throwing things at me and there's a crowd of people and all eyes are on me and you don't want to be the guy that looks foolish. Okay, well, I take care of that right off the bat because one of the first things I do when I get on the box is I announce that I'm a fool. Now I don't have to worry. I'll, I'll announce a lot of times I get up and I say, folks, I know that I look like a fool, like a fool on a box because that's exactly what they think I am. And I'll say, now, even if you think that I am a fool standing on a box, it does not mean that the message I'm giving to you is foolishness. Now, I've already established that I may look like a fool. Now, most of my fear of that is gone because <laughs> I've already announced it. <laughs> now, there's no more, no more feeling of me to try to pretend to be something I'm not. In their eyes, I'm a fool. That's okay. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I'm okay with that. But the thing is, is, what I'll do in those situations, that's where I need to remind myself to ask questions. More than any other time, that's when it is. Because that's the time that I'm most susceptible to 
being challenged in the eyes of many people and feeling like I have to defend myself. So know going in that that's going to happen. It happens all the time. But if, if you're expecting them to look at you and be like, wow, look at that guy, okay, then maybe you're doing it for the wrong reason. I tell, I tell my audience all the time, my crowd, whatever, I say, I don't care if you don't know my name. I want you to leave here knowing Christ. That's it. I'm not out there to proclaim me. I'm there to proclaim Christ. Some evangelists are out there to proclaim self. That's not good. Um, and one lesson, what I want to do is I do, I do want to open it up to questions, even though we don't have to write them down. Um, but I do want to open it up to questions. So one other thing I want to address before we open it up to questions, so I dealt with some of the practical stuff, and there's more we can get into. Uh, I, I wanted to get into the fact that we, can be, we have to be mindful of our own pride and that we can get defensive, Okay. The other thing to, to, to remember is what happens when a conversation goes a totally different direction, somewhere you weren't expecting it to go, you don't want it to go, you want to get back to the gospel, and yet this guy wants to sit there that you're, that's arguing with you, wants to talk about evolution for the next 30 minutes. Here's one thing I learned, this one phrase that I just keep in the back of my mind anytime I want to get back to the gospel. Usually I've already shared the gospel, and now they're trying to argue apologetic stuff. I want to get back to the gospel. I had one guy uh, in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Anyone see them? No, you're not going to admit it anyway. There's a TV show called Jersey Shore. Don't admit if you've watched it anyway. They are the dumbest people. That's where we would evangelize every week. We did do a thing. Okay, so this is what we do. We would see their cameras come up. We basically had an agreement with all of us. When the cameras came, we were going to stay on that box as long as our voice would allow. Because the cameras would be filming, the actors would stop, they would sit there. You got this huge crowd of people that just were watching because there was a camera crew there, and maybe they could be on TV. And the camera crew and the producers are all there to wait till you get done so that they can ask if you can sign off so that they could use that footage. And we would never sign. We didn't trust how they were going to use it. <laughs> We had one guy that actually signed. He saw the cameras. He said, hey, I want to get up. I'm going to try something. He did a 30-second gospel presentation. He said, there's no way. There, I don't think there's any way they can chop that up and make it look bad. <laughs> so, the, but the reality is we'd have that, that crew come in, and we would let them gather a crowd for us, which was very nice of them. Why do I say they're a bunch of idiots? Well, I remember being on the box once. I saw the cameras coming. One of their actors, I guess they're called, I don't know, what you call reality TV people. Um, but I saw her walking. And at this point, the, the, the camera crews had started to realize we were never going to sign off. <laughs> and so what, what I did, I saw her, and she's walking, and I just shouted, look, proof of evolution. And she looked at me, and what are you talking about? You got a tail. She had toilet paper coming out of her pants. And nobody told her. The camera crew probably figured, hey, this is great footage. You know, and she turned to her friends, why didn't you tell me? And then they stopped and I was able to, to evangelize. <laughs> you know, so Jersey Shore, yeah. And that's what we're known for. Okay. Uh, but it was nice because as long as they were filming, everyone, there was always a crowd outside of where their, their apartment was. Just all the time. 
So the, the thing that I would always do, I was out at Jersey Shore and I had this guy and he's talking about the fact that realistic, really Christianity came from this Celtic paganism that uh, started in Ireland and he had this whole thing and this guy was going off literally for 20 minutes and the whole time we did this spiritual transition game, the entire time I'm going, how in the world am I transitioning from what he's saying to the gospel? And I kept letting him talk because I was hoping that at some point he would say something that I could use. And I just was like, after 20 minutes, I said, there is, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I just said this. I said, okay, okay, listen, with all that, how does that help you on Judgment Day? And he just looked at me and went, well, I don't know. I said, okay, let me get back to explaining the message of the gospel then so you know what you need to know before Judgment Day. And that became a phrase I've used now ever since then. How does that help you on Judgment Day? If I ever get stuck in a conversation and I've already gotten to the good person test, explaining their sin, explaining the gospel, and they go off in some crazy direction, I just go, how does that help you on Judgment Day? And that, that's kind of like my, my safe thing. I can always say that, and no matter where the conversation, it doesn't matter what conversation, that always gets me back to the issue at hand. A judgment day is coming, you're accountable to God. And so I just remember that phrase. That becomes very helpful to me because it doesn't matter what conversation, I always know that I have one phrase that I can get back to where I want it to go. That's helpful when you have a bunch of people shouting at you. Uh, one other thing that we do that uh, if you guys do work on building an evangelism team, you know, I can, I can help provide for you. We have hand signals because, you know what, as open-air evangelists, not all of you are ADD like me and pay attention to lots of things. Um, I, I love having lots of people shout out at me, and at the same time, I'm reading the lips of people. I don't do it perfectly, but it's always a great thing to do as an open-air evangelist. I remember once on the boardwalk, sitting there, and I had these two guys, I'm watching them, and the one guy turns to the other, what would he say about the dinosaurs? And I went, now some of you are thinking, what about the dinosaurs? <laughs> had their attention. <laughs> it's a great thing to do. Of course, now that I told you that, you're all going to be like, you know, when you talk to the spouses, you know. Um, so, you know, things like that, you know, are just going to be helpful. And, and these are things that, you know, if you, just pointers, but when you're up there, it can be very distracting, you know, not always thinking about things. We end up having as a team, that the teams I train, we always have hand signals. You know, raise your voice up, you can't be heard. Lower your voice, you're, you're perfectly fine, there's not that many people, or it's, you're too loud, you're going to blow your voice. Hang 10, they usually use that on me. I get too much into the apologetics, and it's like, hey, get back to the Ten Commandments, dude. It's about the gospel, <laughs> you know? We, we, we have these different things. We'll, we'll have something where tap on the shoulder means lean in. I, I got to tell you something. Two taps on the shoulder means get down. <laughs> I usually don't want to do two taps. I, I have had to do that once where someone was saying things they shouldn't have. They were just getting a little bit too uh, defensive. So we have different hand signals. And th those are helpful because as an evangelism team, we're a team. We're trying to work together. We're not trying to be the ones who are, we have to be the one to share the gospel with everybody. The open-air evangelist is the one doing that. We let him do the talking. He has the crowd. He talk. I have to tell my teams all the time, <clears throat> do not interrupt me with my heckler. Do not think that I don't know where I want to go in the conversation, because this is me, I, but I'm, I'm experienced with it. I, I had this in, in Manti, Utah. 
some of you know who Matt Slick is, and he was there. And I'm purposely playing dumb with this guy. I'm purposely not wanting to answer because I, I know that I, he's, if I see some, some people, I'm going to purposely be dumb because they're going to raise their voice. And, and they're going to help get a larger crowd of people to listen. And so I'll purposely answer things in a certain way for a certain reason. Matt, of course, takes my heckler. He takes him on side and says, oh, I can answer that. Come on over here. Walked up to Matt. Like, Don't steal my heckler. And, and you know, it's, it's because we want to give an answer. There's times where we think we know the answer that the open-air evangelist should have given. You know what? When you get your chance, you can say it. Trust in God's sovereignty. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> because... It really, the, the evangelist may have a reason he's doing what he's doing. I already established I like to play dumb. It comes natural, I know. But as an open-air evangelist, there's, there are reasons sometimes I won't answer a question. There's some people who I refuse to answer their question because they will raise their voice to be heard. And they're asking really good questions, but I want everyone to hear it. So there's different reasons I have for, for sometimes the way that I'll treat someone. So if, if, you're, if you form a team, what you want to do is trust that the open evangelist knows what he's doing. Sometimes you're going to find out he doesn't. But that's why, like, we always do a debriefing afterwards, and that's the time to say, hey, why did you do this? Someone will be like, oh, I did that? Sometimes people don't realize. I had, I had one guy, the fir guy, first time he was doing open air, and I usually like to take video of guys so that they see what, you know, how they sound. Guy had a backpack on, and it, you know the, 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 the strings that you pull for you know, to tighten it, and they have loops at the bottom, and he has thumbs in the loops. And the whole time he, he's talking, he's going like this. It was super annoying to watch. I said, dude, what was with the parachute? He's like, what do you mean? You're doing this the whole time. It's annoying. He said, I wasn't doing that. I played the video. He goes, oh, this is so annoying. Either get rid of the backpack or learn to break that habit. <laughs> So, so those are just, I want to give some basic pointers, um, and I want to open it up to questions, because with this as a topic, a lot of times there's more questions that you would have that I may not get to. Okay, so uh, the question is that, obviously, if I've been preaching uh, or evangelizing this way since as long as Ray Comfort's been in America, he hasn't influenced me. Uh, no, he wasn't the influence for me. Uh, he helped me many years after. I was probably doing it for about 20 years uh, before I knew of Ray. Um, and so, no, the, I started doing it by accident. Um, I started doing it on college when I was talking to one person and another person came in and another person came in and we just, the conversation was just a one-on-one -on -one at first and then it was a two-on-one, then it was a three-on-one and more and more people would end up coming and it started because I started to realize, oh, wait, there's too many people, everyone can't hear me. And it, it, the first time it occurred was in the, uh, the quad area and so the acoustics were good there, but... Because everyone walks by, when you're raising your voice, people start wondering what's going on. And so I started to realize I can evangelize to many people that way. Didn't learn about the benefits of, of you know, elevation uh, until Ray Comfort. Um, I had elevated at different times, but not for all the... I didn't understand all the benefits of it. Uh, I didn't understand at all. I never thought about... Um, one of the things Ray really helped me was to not preach into the wind, not to speak into the wind but speak with the wind so it'll carry your voice. I never even thought of that. Um, things about like not drinking cold water and not drink, doing cough drops, learned from them. So there's some things I learned from them, 
that I utilized, but a lot of things I was doing um, for, for many years uh, before him. So it just, it started by accident. It wasn't a plan and I didn't realize. And when I started doing it, I didn't think there was anybody that was doing it. I thought I was just, I actually thought I created something new. Yeah, stupid me. Then I read about George Whitfield. Okay, so does my wife go with me when we evangelize? Uh, well, when we evangelize or open air, I'll, I'll deal with it. My wife does come out with me a, a lot of times when we do evangelism. My wife is like this quiet person. She just wants to hand out gospel tracts. She doesn't even want to talk to anybody. And my wife gets me the best hecklers. I don't know why. Everyone wants to yell at my wife. It's like my wife is this quiet little, she's, she's 5'2", 110 pounds, Asian girl, just, you get one of these? Really soft voice. And she always manages to get these people that want to yell. And she does this. Oh, this is my husband. <laughs> and she walks off. Um, she prefers to run the camera. Like, we'll try to film, and she just sits on the camera. That way she doesn't have to actually talk to anybody. So she thinks. The reality is, it's funny because I, this, the way I get people to come and, and start evangelizing with me is I ask them, hey, look, I just need someone to, I want to make sure there's film, like footage, not because I put it anywhere because I don't, but just I want footage because in case someone makes a claim that I did or said something, I have video evidence to the contrary. And so got the person holding the camera. And I always tell them, can you just, just hold the camera if you can? Okay. They figure they're not going to talk to anyone. Wrong. I'm the guy that's up there doing the open air. The person they always talk to is the person on the camera. What, are you, what is this guy doing? What are you guys doing here? <laughs> so my wife is always answering those questions. She does come out, not all the time. She doesn't like coming to New York um, and because it's just she doesn't enjoy the evangelism. Uh, she'll do it when we go. But it's, it's just not something she really enjoys. Uh, she, she, her evangelism will be you know, more one-on-ones with people that she meets and gets to know. So um, she's not, I, I, think, I think she'd be more comfortable if it was like Asians. Um, just she's more comfortable with other Asians. And uh, so when we do, like I used to do this thing called Jesus Loves Chinatown. It was about 13 or 14 different Chinese churches that got together. And I would do the evangelism training, and then we'd all go out to, to evangelize. She used to come on to that. I think she, she was just more comfortable with, with going with other Asians. Um, so she just thinks I'm nuts sometimes. Uh, we went, went to Atlantic City once, and they're out looking in the stores, and I'm just standing out. Did you get one of these? You get one of these? You get one of these? Have a nice day. You get one of these? You get one of these? I don't like shopping. I like Amazon. Order, and it shows up. Sometimes you are. So the question is, how do you get the ball rolling? I thought you were going to say, how do you use your voice? But, you know, you were already doing that. Um, <laughs> um, and by the way, let me throw this in before, you know, because you and I talked about this. How do you use your voice? For, for anyone that's been military, uh, you, you know how to use your voice. I, I remember when I, we were doing marches and we always have to do cadences. I remember asking the sergeant, why in the world do we have to do these stupid cadences? Like, they shouting out and all these stupid songs they would do. He, and he said to me, so you could be heard over bullets. I don't know if he was telling the truth or making something up, but I do know that as a runner, I run, and when I talk to people when I'm running, that that's actually what has helped, because you, breathe, you have to breathe up the air when you're running. 
You can't use your throat. Um, but how do you get started? That was the question. How, how's, so you get up, you get on the box. What does it look like to get started? It looks different. Um, a lot of times what I do is I just open a Bible and read. I had a guy that came to New York. He, he was a master of the gimmicks. Okay, I don't agree in doing all the gimmicks. Um, but he mastered it. He, he had said he was like, he got all the, he had the trivia questions and how to give money and, and how to do all these different things. And he came to New York because, um, he was with another guy who has a great ministry. It's called the prayer stand. If you want to do some evangelism, get the prayer stand. Um, it, I, I know it's expensive. It's like 500 bucks, but it is one of the best. It's so cool. He would just go to New York. He sets it up. He puts up this pole that says prayer really tall. And it's red, and he wears this red jacket that says prayer, and everyone walks up to him. <laughs> he just has this thing, that a carousel, that has all these gospel tracts in a water-tight uh, container in case it rains. And, and what he does is he just stands there, and person after person after person comes up and asks for prayer. I'm usually preaching over here, and he'd be over there just taking prayer requests. It was great. We, we worked together. And, and so um, the, thing, the thing is is that sometimes... You know, he was there to work with this guy and to learn how to do the prayer stand. And he found out that I was going to be in Union Square that day. And he said, he told me afterwards, he was like, I was so excited. I mean, when I found out you and Sean Holtz were going to be there, I was like, I was so excited to see how you guys were going to do it. I mean, I, I mastered the gimmicks. I was waiting to see how you were going to do it. And you got up there and you opened your Bible and you read it. And he went, I don't have to do all the gimmicks. I could just read the Bible. I said, yes. <laughs> Often that's what I do now. I mean, I'll sometimes, if I want to try to get a crowd, I'll talk about issues of evolution and why there's issues with it. But when you do that, you are getting a crowd, but the, now the topic of discussion is creation versus evolution. Okay? And the problem I have is that sometimes that becomes the whole debate and you can, it becomes really hard to get it back to where you want to go with the gospel. And that's the reason I've turned, and now I just, I read Scripture. And, and I read different passages of Scripture. Uh, you know, Anthony Silvestro, uh, who wrote the book on the Origin of Kinds, I can tell you exactly where he's going every time. Romans chapter 1. He starts there every time. <laughs> and, and so the thing is, I read a lot of different passages, and I just, I'll read Scripture. I will sometimes do... Um, when they were going to legalize same-sex marriage in New York, uh, basically what I chose to do was do a whole uh, exposition of marriage. And I didn't know how far into that exposition I was going to go before someone challenged me with marriage and same-sex marriage. But I explained what marriage was and how it is a picture of God's relationship with his people and why it is that we shouldn't re try to redefine marriage and something that God has not said it is. Because when you mess with the picture, you're messing, you're, when you mess with the marriage, you mess with the thing it pictures. And the, and the reality is it is God who established marriage. So I was going in that whole thing. I was actually surprised. There were a bunch of people listening, and it took a long time before someone brought up same-sex marriage. I actually got through most of what I decided I was going to proclaim. And uh, so there are times where sometimes I will do a sermon. That's the reason that people called open-air preaching, because what's happened is some of the people that go beyond just the good person test, they're actually doing sermons. I don't typically do that. I typically, by the way, I typically, when I start, I get up on the box for about three minutes, and that's it. 
Three minutes, I'm done. I get over the anxiety, then I can go up for a couple of hours. But I, just for me, because I just have too much anxiety with it, I get up, I get my, th- I know that I'm going to do three minute, I'm not going to read a long scripture, or I'm just going to get up, do three minutes of preaching, I'm going to get down. I'll let one of the other guys get up. And then I'll go for a long time. <laughs> but it's like, I got to get it out of my system. Because <laughs> I, I get nervous with it. And so it looks different. It's going to depend. I mean, it depends where I go, too. I mean, if I go to Union Square, there's absolutely nothing I need to do to get a crowd. I mean, nothing. We went to a Super Bowl. It was the dead of winter. Uh, it had just rained. And I told our team we want, we're going to go to, the soup, we're going to, go to uh, Union Square. And there was a team of guys there, but they weren't doing any evangelism. Uh, they were just going, well, this place is dead. And I said, that's okay. Just start evangelizing. No, there's no one here. I said, okay, then we will. Stick around and watch how easy it is. And they're like, no, nah, we're, we're going to get a pizza come back. Okay, go get a pizza come back. So Jake gets up. Literally, this is what Jake said to get a crowd. Hi, my name's Jake. I'm from Minnesota. And someone went, what's a Minnesota? Some skater dude. And all of a sudden, there were a bunch of skater dudes. He goes, it's a state. It's one of the 50 states in the United States. You never heard of Minnesota before? No. And he started sharing the gospel. Later on, that other team came back from pizza, and they were like, they saw this big crowd. They were like, what did you guys do to get a crowd? I said, Jake said, hi, I'm Jake from Minnesota. That's why I love Union Square. You do nothing to get a crowd. Yes, I've heard of open air campaigners. Yep. So open air campaigners has some great stuff that they do. Um, <clears throat> what they have is that they'll train people on how to do some of this. Uh, they, they do like they'll have a, a, a fluorescent paint with a black light and the, they draw a painting and, and they basically are sharing the gospel as they're drawing the painting and they do it in segments. So the whole painting is you don't see the whole thing. It's like, you know, I'll put a, a dash here and a dash over there and a dash over here. And you just, <clears throat> they keep working on the painting. Well, the whole time they're sharing the gospel. And people are coming in. And, and some guys will be like, okay, what do you think, I'm, what do you think I'm, the picture is? You know, they'll stop and engage with the crowd. Oh, no, no, that's not it. Nope. Okay, you stick around, keep watching, you know. And the whole time <clears throat> the painting ends up being that they're sharing the gospel through different sections. And they'll have different sections of the gospel. And they, they explain the different parts through painting, and people stick around because they like to watch the painting. They're trying to figure out what it is. <clears throat> um, that's, that's the thing that they do that's, that's really good. It's just a creative way to get people to stick around and, and, and watch. So they're, they're pretty good with that. Any others? We got time for maybe one more? Do, so the question is, do I want to make sure they know God is real before I get into the gospel? <clears throat> no, they already know God's real. Romans 1 says that, that they're without excuse. They already know God exists, but they suppress that in unrighteousness. So my starting point is that they know God exists. I, I, never, I don't debate it. When, when they tell me God doesn't exist, I say God doesn't believe you. And neither do I. You know, and then it's really funny because it's like, well, no, I, I know God doesn't exist. You know God doesn't exist? <laughs> Can you prove God doesn't exist. They can't do that either. But so yeah, I don't, I usually don't, I, my starting point is I, I don't, see what I won't do is I'm not going to leave the truth of God's word and enter into their false worldview 
to debate their false worldview. This is the problem I have with some apologists. They go, let's put the Bible over there. We'll enter into your world and debate you on science only in the realm of science. And yet the science that they're debating is a science that is a, has confirmation bias in it. The starting point for all science is the Word of God. That's where we start. We base everything else on this. And so I'm not going to give this up <clears throat> for a false idea of neutrality. And, and maybe depending which talks uh, Pastor Jim has Jason do in the spring, he does one on logic and he'll talk about the false, style, the, the false conclusion people have of neutrality. They're not neutral. There is no neutrality. When they sit there and say, well, let's talk, but you, you put the Bible stuff away. Let's talk on neutral terms. Guess what? Those aren't neutral terms. They want you to give up the truth. When people tell that to me, I say, fine, let's, I have no problem with that. Let's do that. Let's say on neutral terms, let's not look at any of the science that you've been taught. Well, that's the truth. No, this is the truth. And if it agrees with this, then it's true. If it doesn't, then it's not true. So why would I want to step into your false worldview when you have to borrow from mine? What do I mean by that? When you are arguing apologetics with people, understand, and this goes back to what I said to that guy, Jack, on the cruise, right? He wants to say he does science. They are borrowing or stealing from our worldview for theirs. You see, our worldview accounts for immaterial things like a soul, counts for immaterial things like morality and laws of logic and truth and knowledge. We can account for those things. They can't. There's no way they can account for laws of logic. And so what ends up happening? They want to argue for the laws of logic. They want to say, well, we discovered them. Oh, really? So there's, there were no laws of logic before there were human minds. Because here's the thing. All of us agree there was a time before human mind. I believe it was six days. Well, five days, technically. You think it's millions of years. Okay, let's go with the second law of logic. The law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction says that you can have A and not A at the same time in the same way. Okay? In other words... I can't have $20 in my wallet and not have $20 in my wallet at the same time and it both be the same kind of $20. I mean, I can have non, you know, like monopoly money in my wallet and not real $20, but that's a different sense. So the way I'll ask it is, so are you telling me that the universe could have existed and not existed at the same time in the same way before there was a human mind? It becomes a dilemma for them. If they say yes, which they want to do because they've established that it's human beings that came up with the laws of logic, then there's a problem because now they're allowing for contradictions. Once they allow for contradictions, I say, you're wrong. They say, no, I'm right. No, you're wrong. No, I'm right. No, you're wrong, and you must agree with me because you accept contradictions. However, if you think that you must be right and I must be wrong, then you are no longer in your worldview, but you're in mine because mine doesn't allow for contradictions. Now, if they say no, they have a problem because the laws of logic preceded the human mind and therefore, well, how do you explain them? They'll say, oh, nature. 
Mother nature, okay. She's not mother and she's not nature. She's nothing. Nature doesn't do things. Nature is something God created. So what you end up seeing is as you work your way through the apologetics, and, and I do have, um, I, do have a, a, I did a thing on presuppositional apologetics. Uh, it's about two weekly podcasts ago. So it's a pretty recent one. Pastor Jim hasn't gotten there yet. Um, but uh, <laughs> I just look for every opportunity, huh? It's just... Have you sung happy birthday to your wife yet? I, I think you should do that right here with... I, I don't... I, did you hear it? I, yeah, I didn't hear it either. <laughs> so, so here, the thing is, when we go out there, I mean, if you, if you listen to what my talk on presuppositional apologetics, you're going to realize that they are stealing from our worldview because they want to rely on things that they cannot account for. Do you know why the Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God? Because he has to use his God-given ability to reason to deny the God that gave him an ability to reason. You see, they can't explain their ability to reason without God. But they use their reasoning to say God doesn't exist. So what I do when I get these people that say that evolution is true and there is no God, I say, okay, so you can't account for immaterial things. There's no immaterial things? No. We're just chemical reactions. I said, okay, I want you to do me a favor. I would like you to make your argument, but here's the thing. I don't want you to use knowledge. I don't want you to use truth. I don't want you to use an ability to reason. I don't want you to use the laws of logic. Go. Can't be done. And they'll say, no, 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 I, you don't understand. These, these things don't need to be. Oh, so, so it doesn't matter. No. Okay, so blue pigs fly over the moon twice. What? Yeah. I don't need to make sense. It's just a chemical reaction. That just came out and it must be right. No, 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 no. Because what do we want to do? They want to appeal to our worldview. No, there are things that are logical and make sense and are knowledgeable and truthful. Not in your worldview. And so that's what I'll often do with them. I like to have fun. So with that, we'll close in prayer. All right. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the time that we had here this weekend. The fact that for many of us, boy, are we afraid to go out and share the gospel. We need to have the boldness. We need to get, um, to get you to work in our hearts many times to get us to get out of our comfort zone, do what we don't want to do. We, for most of us, if we're going to be honest, we'd much rather sit at home on a couch and watch TV. And yet, you did not do that. You could have easily avoided the cross, and you did not. You sent someone into our lives to share the truth with us. 10,000 years from now, Lord, we are not going to care a whit about who won any sports team, sport, sports game. But we are going to care how we spent our time striving for the things of eternity. And we ask, Lord, that as we go about our day, we would do so fixated upon you because we love you and we want to be pleasing in your sight, that we'd go out and, and share the gospel with a lost and dying world so that you might be glorified, not us. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.